0: You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between, interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago, Welcome
1: to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. I will show you around. Hi, I'm very pleased to just post the American election to have Adam Fisher who is a partner at Bessemer Venture Partners. Adam has been with with the firm and works out of the Herzliya office. He focuses on investments in Israel and Europe. Uh, Adam covers several areas of of investments at BVP, but is focused primarily on consumer Internet companies such as Wix, Saludo, BillGuard, Fiverr, and his current portfolio. Uh, Adam has been in the venture capital world, uh, as I believe you can correct me, Adam, more than a decade, and I'm very pleased to have you here with me this early afternoon. Welcome. Thank you. Let me get right to it. Everyone is going to be talking about certainly for the next uh, couple of days the elections, and now that we know that President Obama has been reelected, h- how how do you view how that may affect uh, your industry, the venture capital industry?
0: Well, you know, I don't think there's any any kind of immediate effect. Uh, on venture investments, or startup creation, or even exits, for that matter. Um, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear that there's going to be some rise in taxes on capital gains uh, going into next year, but I don't think it's going to be uh, substantial enough to to affect uh, how venture capitalists and startups do their work. Um, you know, don't forget that venture capitalists do what they do because they enjoy. First of all, working with entrepreneurs and, and 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 then having an impact on the world through those entrepreneurs, and only thirdly because we make money. Uh, but it really is in that order. Uh, it's it's different from a lot of other investing because we're active, uh, almost regardless of stage. You're active. You're you're taking a piece of it. So I'm not really worried about that. Uh, what, what what I think. Perhaps is a bit more of a concern with the election, although this would probably be the situation regardless of who was elected, is just a coming fiscal cliff um, you know, and the effect that that could have on the overall American economy, uh, on the IPO market, and potentially even on, on M&A, because I think a lot of companies will be nervous uh, to take any significant actions with their stock price, not, not knowing exactly what, how the market is going to react. So it will be an interesting couple of months, and then probably the world will freeze over for a while around the beginning of the year, and we'll see what what awaits us. But I don't see it having any any unique effect on the venture business.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's actually quite interesting. This is probably the first presidential election where venture capital industry was actually part of the debate in terms of Romney's uh, history, you know, and whether he, you know, took care of companies, shut down companies. Yeah, unfortunately,
0: we're, the venture capital is lumped in with private equity. And while it is technically a form of private equity, as we are investing in equity and in private companies, it is a very, very different model. Uh, you know, venture capital is, is startup creation. It's, it's, it's growth financing. It always, It's almost never accompanied by debt. Uh, or any type of uh, kind of uh, efficiencies, uh, you know. Private equity, on the other hand, is is usually a situation of uh, of, of taking taking companies private uh, from the from the public market, of uh, breaking up companies uh, that are, are undervalued either because they're because of their shoulder base, um, and that that requires a different kind of work. That's where often the investors are looking for efficiencies. They usually because they see those efficiencies, they usually. Have a lot of leverage, and the result is very different. While investors make great returns, the impact on the company, the impact on the world, uh, is a little bit different. Uh, So we are, we were exposed a bit to that, and um, who knows? Maybe the 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 spotlight on on uh, the low tax rate of carried interest could affect venture capitalists. But I I don't think it will happen overnight. Uh, You know, that this topic came up uh, last year when, when Obama was. Uh, you know, in his first term, and uh, I think Congress voted mm-hmm. it down. It, it didn't uh, – or actually, I'm not even sure it reached uh, – that stage, but it was voted down
1: very early. Right, it was a proposal. I, I know there's one senator who's still, which is interesting. He who gets a lot of money from Wall Street, uh, Senator Schumer from New York, still uh, holds it up. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. I think Obama had a close call, and I think his second term may be a lot different in terms of what he's trying yep. to accomplish. So uh, let's let us let us hope for uh, not not too big jump in the t- in the tax rates coming up. All right, let, let me ask you this again, Adam. you're, you're you're still a young guy. Uh, you've been in the VC industry for many years. Uh, how have you seen things change, what I, I call the last decade, or or let's say from the dot-com era to, to today? Yes, well, in
0: fact, first I started working venture capital in 1996 oh. when I was still an undergrad student. So this is, we're coming on 15, 16 years, and I have seen a lot. Um, most of what I've seen is from the Israeli vantage point, but it's not entirely different from what happened in the U.S., um, I'll ignore the bubble for a moment because that, that's fairly obvious that that was stuck in the middle and we both benefited and kind of lost a lot of time uh, from that bubble. But but ignoring that, I think we see a few different things. Uh, one is that venture capital is much more mainstream. It's uh, on the tip of the tongue of every entrepreneur. It's much more accessible. That's probably as a result of uh, of really online media that we were aware of companies that exist, how they were funded, who's funding them, and so venture capital is really uh, no longer a cottage industry. Uh, related to entrepreneurs and how VCs fund companies, on the one hand, there are certain sectors with the cost of creating a business and developing a product and even getting revenues has gone down tremendously. So everything was software-related with Internet for consumers and mobile, because of open source, because of free offerings, because of new new code, companies can create products and generate revenues with literally less than ten thousand dollars. Something that was never really possible before. Now that doesn't affect us directly. We don't fund deals like that, but it does mean that there are far more startups being created that may or may, or may not have raised venture capital, hmm. but us just lowered that that kind of bar oh. to to entry, which is fantastic. Uh, on the other hand, in other sectors like semiconductors or even traditional enterprise software, actually the cost has gone up. It is much more expensive uh, to build successful companies uh, in those sectors, not only to to develop the product, but also to take it to market and to scale. Um, There are many reasons for that as well. Uh, Probably it's inflation, but you're just competing with much larger players um, that have assets and and time and and a customer base that's just on their side, and so you have to be prepared to go all the way. So in semiconductors, uh, what once cost perhaps $12 million, $10 million to develop a chip now costs a minimum of 25 literally double, and that's made it unattractive in many, in many ways uh, to entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. Um, the last thing, maybe, well, I'd also mention that the roots, of the market, have changed uh, with online delivery, uh, advertising. Online, these didn't exist, didn't exist in the you know a decade ago. Or if it did, uh, it wasn't an efficient process, and you probably lost more money than you than you gained from it. So that's that's very new and interesting. And lastly, from a VC perspective, I think we've seen the emergence, or we are seeing the emergence, of a true bulge bracket of VCs like Bessemer, like Excel, Sequoia, Benchmark. Um, Maybe a, I would say about 10, 15 funds of that size that can raise money whenever they want, that are global, that are multi-sector and multi-stage. Um, and then the emergence of a much smaller group of regional sector-specific funds, but very little in between. And for many years, you always had various sizes of VCs and various strategies, but we're seeing this kind of um, dichotomy. And this is actually analogous to what happened in the investment banking industry 30 years ago. Uh, which we now take for granted that there are bulge bracket firms, everybody knows, and much smaller boutique firms that are usually focused on a sector or a region, and they work well together. But that's uh, you know that's kind of uh, the future for the next decade. Uh, I have little doubt.
1: Well, you know, I would say from also have been a participant uh, from afar a bit, but certainly an observer of the, your industry, certainly in Israel since you say '96. It would be just amazing to compare the experience, the amount of people that had experience back in '96 or '98, and today. I mean, you you guys have learned a lot. You're much more sophisticated, and, and that was really a, a very, very early stage for Israel.
0: Oh, there's no question for Israel. You know, back in the '90s, we were we were all still learning what we're doing. We were learning from each other, from our successes and from our mistakes, and even then, we we knew very little. It, it takes. It easily takes 10 years to figure out if you're a good investor in, in venture capital. It takes a certain amount of time to see if uh, you've got a good fund. So with only 20 years under the, you know, the belt of most Israeli funds, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's still a very young industry, but it's very different. Uh, entrepreneurs are more experienced, even employees. You know, startups have become uh, a career path to work in startups in small companies. Uh, and people understand the risks, uh, but they're, they're not afraid of it. So it, it's just—it's very different. Uh, you know, I remember back in the '90s, you—you you couldn't start a company without the bulk of the uh, of the development team coming from a big company like a Converse or an Amdox or an ECI, maybe even an Intel. Uh, I don't know any. Startup in my portfolio, but but also most portfolios that where the bulk of the entrepreneurs come from one of those big Israeli
1: stalwarts. Okay, I, just a, s- a side note when you about we talk about changes. I was drinking my coffee early this morning, uh, watching the ele- election results come in. Uh, one of these reporters who they they just had been on for hours. They were obviously were looking for things to say, and one said the following. This marks a historic moment. There has never been this many tweets of a presidential election. So <laughs> I thought four years ago, I, I don't know even if anyone knew what Twitter was. Uh, but, uh, you know. It's just the change. We're, we're, we see it at your industry, but we're seeing it everywhere. It's, uh, yeah, it is amazing how
0: quickly things change. We take it for granted that, that, that Twitter has always been around, um, right. or that any kind of you know or that our mobile or that we can look at what's going on on, on our mobile phone. Uh, it's it's amazing what four years is. It's a, it's a you can you can imagine what now will be four years from now, and I guarantee you there'll be something else that's not Twitter, not not Facebook, and our job is to find out what that is. Before others do, right?
1: Excellent. All right. Again, as I said at the beginning, I, I, I've been following your industry and your career, and and I know I'll bring to our listeners that you did have the opportunity to live in China at one point in your career. Uh, so let's just shift a little. Do you see a place for uh, Israeli high tech companies in the Chinese market? I do,
0: but I really only see it in niche areas where the product is sufficiently technologically difficult. So that it uh, cannot be replicated, uh, and also only in a market that's small enough not to attract uh, government attention in the form of subsidies, grants, and obstacles to to foreign entry. Um, I've had some, had some scars from companies that have focused on China. Uh, uh, you know, big mainstream markets, forget it.
1: Mm-hmm. Even if I let
0: you in the beginning, it's it's really just to feed the market. Ultimately, they'll never let a large foreign company, uh, or rather, they never let a foreign company create a large market in China. It just there's no evidence that that's ever happened. But I think Israel has a unique kind of match with its technology in certain areas where. It's really important to certain Chinese companies and customers, but not important enough that they want to focus all their attention on it. So I do see an area, but I don't don't think it's the future of Israeli high-tech. I still think that we are largely a U.S. The biggest company, the biggest stories are going to come from, products that are focused on the U.S. and maybe Western Europe.
1: Yeah, there was a book in the 70s by uh, William O. Douglas. He was a Supreme Court justice who came from Washington State, and the name of his book was uh, Look East, Young Man, <laughs> meaning that his future would be in the east in Washington, D.C., and New York. Obviously, you're saying for Israeli companies, keep looking west. Uh, you
0: know, I honestly have a kind of an investment policy that says, I, I don't want to invest in any company that's competing with Chinese companies. Now, that does not mean going into the... Chinese market it's a little bit different but I've found that we don't do well in fact nobody does well competing against Chinese companies so you want to, you want to stay away now this, this is still fine because in, the, in reality most Chinese companies are you competing with them usually only in hardware centric areas where there's little differentiation and it's hard to maintain kind of value over, over time. Uh, but it 's worked well for me following that principle there, there may be an exception here and there, but i that 's my general rule all
1: right very interesting input on that subject so if we 're looking west so that that follows into my next question last week i I was happened to be in Ireland at a conference and uh, heard, a, heard a lot of speakers, and, and despite their internal economic problems, they seem increasingly hungry for high-tech companies to establish themselves there. Do, do you see that, uh, do you think in terms of maybe you're aware of some of the incentives that Ireland offers, do you think Israel is offering enough to startups to, to be based here, to stay here, to grow here? Um,
0: you know, there, there's a short-term view, kind of way of looking at that in a long-term. I, I don't think we need too much in terms of government support. I, I think the beauty of the Israeli venture industry is that it is not dependent on government support, and, and I think that's the greatest benefit of, that the Israeli government supplies us is that it does not interfere. And that really is saying a lot. It's very easy to, uh, to, to interfere. Where, where we could use the Israeli government's help, it's, it's, in, it's in the related infrastructure. Uh, Long term, it's, it's about education. It's about the scientific research uh it's about uh bringing uh Israelis abroad back to israel uh, uh in everything from academia to to other areas it's in creating a, a better uh uh communications infrastructure uh Israel is as advanced as it is we should be leading the world in communications infrastructure meaning locally and we're not we're behind the curve we're not going to have four g At least another two years, which will be, you know, four years behind the U.S. uh, Not to mention uh, wireless broadband or uh, higher higher speeds. We're really behind the curve, and that hurts us. That hurts us. But I'm not looking. I'm not one that favors government support of VCs or. Or even chief scientist. I think the chief scientist ha- has a, a, a purpose, but I think it needs to be a bit more focused on what it does do and what it doesn't do. very often of taking chief scientist money because of the uncertainty it introduces into our uh, deals, not to mention the uncertainty of the chief scientist budget from year to year. So, so I'm not a. I'm not one to speak a lot about government except for kind of help us build the infrastructure for the long term.
1: Okay, I'll just take then some of Ireland's reign and uh, leave it mm-hmm. at that. You know, obviously we, uh, let's say, take me as the, the the layperson. We see a lot of times when an Israeli company uh, goes public, uh, we see the front page of the newspaper, the champagne, uh, people jumping into swimming pools or, or, mm-hmm. or other uh, events like that. Uh, so let me bring you fast forward, assuming that that is one of the goals of every entrepreneur, to, to, to go public. Uh, how, do you, how do you think the debacle of Facebook's IPO will affect other companies thinking of going that route? No,
0: I, I think they'll still go public. I, I think that the problem with Facebook was one of um, simply waiting too long. Uh, ultimately, what happened is that uh, uh, I think the, the founder and CEO was dragged to an IPO by his shareholders um, and uh, went, it was just too late. It was as the growth curve was slowing and as the user base was, was aging, so to speak, and investors saw into that and just got a little bit scared. They didn't like the shift to mobile. They didn't like the shift from uh, developed world users to emerging market users over a, over a feature phone. And that spooked the market that they, they couldn't quite see how the company could maintain its growth uh, and to justify such a such a high valuation. So I think if anything, it will perhaps convince entrepreneurs to take their company companies public a little bit earlier. I mean, not as early as it went public in the, in the 90s, but but certainly not to wait until growth slows or until investors think that growth is slowing growth is around the corner. And I think that's about it. I mean, we've already had a good 10, 15 strong IPS since Facebook, so I don't think it's put a damper on the
1: on the IPO market. Okay, that's that's very encouraging. All right, so now I'm going to ask you just to open your desk drawer, take out your crystal ball. You said again, four years from now, who knows how we'll be following the next presidential election. Where, what areas do you see VC's investing in the near future? Is there sort of certain talk of certain areas of interest that we may not even know about or are just starting to be spoken within your industry? You
0: know, I divide up into two general themes. One is everything that's that's web-based, whether it's for a mobile application, a consumer web application, or a business, what we call SaaS, software as a service. I think that is a very powerful trend where, again, the product is, in all cases, is either in the, it's software, it's either in the cloud or it's downloaded. And the model is usually one of premium or subscription. That's very new. We didn't have that really ten years ago, and that works, and we're going to see a lot of activity there, but it's still very hard to identify the companies that have a, a, a game-changing product or, or model. But that's one very broad theme that will continue to see lots of activity. Another area is really the infrastructure that will support all of that, which, which I say is really focused on, um, the data center and, and the cloud. That's, it's depend, you know, Data centers is how you power a cloud, but data centers also exist um, for, for, in private companies. Uh, and what do I mean by that opportunity? It's everything from the silicon that, that, that runs the, the, the physical infrastructure to services to make it easier to manage. They are uh, the two sides, the kind of the yin and the yang of, of the future of, of high tech. It's, it's moving to the cloud and software, but you still need these massive, massive, Data centers and anything you can do to lower the cost, to make it more efficient, to make it more compact, is going to be very, very uh, lucrative. So those are the two broad trends that we see. But there's just lots and lots of opportunities within
1: them. All right, we will be uh, hopefully following these trends and seeing how uh, your industry and your company, particularly invest in the coming coming years. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to end uh, again. We've been to China, we've been to Ireland, but now I'm going to go, as they say in Hebrew, "Sofa Marav" to the the ends of uh, the Western world to Silicon Valley. Uh, Back in May, I had the privilege of uh, visiting Palo Alto, giving a lecture to uh, Israelis who were in high tech there. And, uh, you know, it struck me, the feeling was those people who attended are are Israelis who want to return or have some plan, short or midterm, to come back. Do you, do you think that Israel tends to lose successor entrepreneurs to greener pra- pastures like Silicon Valley, or is it just a natural process and ultimately will get them back just the smarter, wealthier, more experienced?
0: Yeah, I, I think we ultimately get them back. I think that's another unique characteristic about Israeli high-tech is that it's not a separate geography. It's one that's inextricably linked to the U.S. precisely because Israel is now a country where Israelis don't really leave. They, they leave temporarily. They generally come back. Not everybody does, but by and large, they do. They want to. Um, there will always be a few entrepreneurs that, based on their experience in the U.S., decide they'd rather open a company from the U.S. and do everything in the U.S. There are examples of that. I think the most notable of recently is uh, Palo Alto Networks, uh, a very successful security company, which really could have and should have been started in Israel by an Israeli entrepreneur, but he decided to make it all in the valley. That's a shame, but there are many others that are Israeli entrepreneurs starting out in the valley. They still have an R and D center in Israel, and I expect a lot of those people to to re- to come back to Israel eventually. Um, and I think it just gives, makes our uh, market. That much stronger. It's, uh, Israelis are therefore exposed to American business practices and build broader networks, and just makes Israel Israeli high tech that much closer to, to U.S. high tech. Something that can't really be said about many other countries, whether it's in Europe or in Asia. And so I still see it as a, as a plus and not a minus. All
1: right, excellent. I hope we won't just have a date after presidential elections that we'll be able to call you uh, in the nearer future. And you'll uh, we'll see how many of your the trends that you're looking at are actually come into being, and other other interesting things happening both in your industry and Israel in particular. So, Adam, I thank you for taking the time today, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thank you, Philip. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www. pstein.com or look for philip stein associates on facebook twitter and linkedin goodbye